Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Welcome to Under the Helmet. Got Katie Flower here. I am Chad Parsons for UTHDynasty.com. We've got camps opening up, a lot of news coming out over the past few days. But our feature topic, and we'll get to it in a few minutes after some of these news items for Dynasty, is going to be uh, Dynasty Age. Uh, It really is a defining factor for how you view players, how you view player value, the marketplace, building your team. It really intertwines and and bleeds itself into a lot of the decisions you make about competing windows, how to build your team, et cetera. Do want to remind you, uh, over 250 premium podcasts annually over at UTHDynasty.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash UTH with exclusive bonus content uh, there on the Dynasty lens as well. And Katie, we've got a number of quarterback situations, plus some other um, hot stove items. Things are heating up a little bit. June is still pretty dry. We're not going to get you know about mid uh, mid July uh, when when things truly start escalating towards week one, and we're going to kind of zoom through, and it'll be uh, Christmas, New Year's before we know it. But the first thing I wanted to start with was this Matt Nagy interview talking about that there's no possible scenario uh, Justin Fields is the starting quarterback week one. Andy Dalton's our guy, Andy Dalton's our starter, and Justin's our number two. And uh, we're just going to stick with that, and you got to trust the plan. We heard plans before about quarterbacks. Sometimes they stick to it. Sometimes they don't. Um, I, To me, this always harkens things like, you know, thinking with a rookie quarterback, you go into your startup uh, super flex draft and you draft one early. And, uh, you know, week one rookie season is not the important part. You know, I mean, sometimes it might be midseason, it might be later season, might require an injury, might be the Bears not being in playoff contention anymore. There's a number of different scenarios uh, that that turn into when do they start. It's it's how they finish, it's how they play more so than what what week they start because we always say it's you're not drafting rookies to be in your lineup. You're drafting them as your farm system to someday start for you. Absolutely. And I'm actually very excited about that news. Just like with Patrick Mahomes, when he was going to sit behind Alex Smith for the year or, you know, what looked like could be the the year. And he did for the most part. This is great news for Justin Fields. There's a huge adjustment being a rookie in the NFL. And if you're thrown into the fire, like a lot of these guys are, you're, chance of success goes down. I think this will help Justin Fields. It will help him with the transition. He's a very competitive guy. I'm not worried about Andy Dalton long-term. And maybe Fields sees the field halfway, three quarters of the way through the season. But even if he doesn't, great. I don't think Trey Lance is going to see the the field. And I see a lot of people in a one-quarterback league drafting Trey Lance and Justin Fields over, you know, other positional players, it's mind boggling because you're not going, unless you really plan on just keeping them on your bench and 
for down the road, that's fine. The only two that I saw as starters out of the gate were going to be Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. And that's by circumstance. Because of the depth chart. Look at the depth chart. They don't have these other options like Andy Dalton to post, to be an actual serviceable, uh, you know, baseline level NFL pro. And, and frankly, just one other point of something you said, and it's not truly dynasty related or anything, but that honestly you're getting into this and your prep for the game, your, your game week is going to be different in the NFL than college. And to just go, okay, new environment, probably moving, uh, to a new city. You're just thrown in what? Yes. Coach, no coach, like everything you need, everything is new for you in your life. And now you're going to get to. Uh, your first game prep week. And yeah, having Andy Dalton right next to him would certainly help as opposed to no one's around. But like going into week one, okay, I'm the starter, but it's still game week for the first time. And it's different. Like I would rather see my veteran uh, counterpart there on that depth chart, even if it's just two or three of them. Okay, let's see how he prepares. And then we actually see and we get to game day. And now, now we see what the, the post game and the, the analysis Monday, Tuesday treatment going back in. And now we're getting ready for another game. Just seeing someone else do that. And I'm right there along for the ride two or three times. It's kind of like, you know, all of a sudden uh, the military is classic for this, but for anything, it's like, Oh, can you, uh, Katie, can you go demonstrate this? And they just kind of verbally, Oh yeah. Demonstrate the, uh, you know, the, uh, the side hustle Ramitas. And it's like, it'll be some move. And it's like, well, if you see a couple other people do it, you're like, oh yeah, I can do that. But it's like, if you're the first one in line, the odds of you doing it right. We see them explain it at the NFL combine, right? Okay. You go around this cone, pivot with your left foot. Now circle back out. Okay. Now only over your outside shoulder. They explain all this stuff. They have someone demonstrate a lot of times the demonstrator gets it wrong, you know, or he tweaks what they're doing. But if you're fifth in line, it's a lot easier for you. So I, I really think this whole waiting uh, is a good thing. And, and you're probably going to be better off initially because guess what? In Dynasty, if you come out week one, if Zach Wilson comes out and he doesn't look good, I mean, what does that do to his Dynasty value? Right away, right? We're all, everyone's a little skittish, right? Like, uh-oh, he doesn't look like he belongs. You know, he's thrown four picks in two weeks. And guess what? He's out there learning. Like, part of that is learning. Again, we're still not in lineup mode uh, as a rookie. So the proper perspective, but it still doesn't mean it affects, it can still affect the market heavily uh, would be one of my big points. Yeah, I mean, Mac Jones in the same situation behind Cam Newton. And, you know, you can say Mac Jones looked really good in the ring the other day and Cam Newton had a couple of them sail on him. Cam Newton is the starter. Look, Mac Jones is going to sit and he is going to benefit from that. That it's all good. You don't want to push these rookies, especially at the quarterback position into service. We've seen it so many times where it just ruins the guy. And you give them a year behind a veteran or the better part of a year. And it, it just really helps to escalate them. And I feel better about them in fantasy as a reliable asset. And you may get a little window to uh, stock up on another share or two across your leagues because you can offer someone who is doing well, someone that, that might be more of a flip valuation or in, in the early weeks. And the longer it goes without them starting, the more that chatter of like, oh, it means he's not ready. It means he's not any good. And it's like, you kind of have to always stick with your eval at that point. I mean, we still have not seen them play. Now this year, we will have the benefit of the preseason a little bit. So we will have some reps 
but there's still a lot of learning going on. And away from the rookies, uh, Tua Tagovailoa was also in the news, uh, you know, today, previously. Uh, so he's a year two player, but yet still one with a pretty protracted resume because Ryan Fitzpatrick played a lot last year for Miami. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's all buzzing about it on Twitter. He threw five interceptions. He threw seven interceptions, whatever the, the quantity is. It doesn't matter. You want them to throw interceptions in practice. They're learning how tight the windows are. They're, they're learning how, you know, how much you to want them to air it out. You want them to be the cowboy. You want them to try and then dial it back a little bit and learn from that. And, and uh, I remember when Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota were both rookies in camp and Marcus Mariota hadn't thrown any interceptions at all. And Jameis Winston had thrown a bunch. Now, yes, Jameis Winston was a uh, interception machine, even in regular games, but he was still a great fantasy asset. Marcus Mariota was too afraid to make mistakes and therefore he, he wasn't hitting the deep pass in practice. He, he was just hitting those, you know, the shorter routes and the underneath and the, and the things like that's the time you want to see what you can and what you can't do. So I'm not concerned a bit uh, by the reports. Oh, you had X, Y, Z number of interceptions. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Yeah. And with any sport, I kind of liken it, you know, when I'm in practice, you know, with tennis that, yeah, you're testing things, right? I mean, you're not, you know, like sometimes you're actually not looking at the lines, you know, on the other side of the court and same thing. Like he might not be looking at a drifting safety coming across because he's working on something else. Oh, I'm really trying to put it over the outside shoulder or I'm seeing what kind of trajectory kind of fits best because this is a new receiver. They're building chemistry. So you want to test those limits either way. You know, it's kind of like a, a child pressing limits of, of rules, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, they said I have to be, you know, be in my room by, by 8.30. Well, you know, now it's 8.35. No one's looking for me. So, you know, I'm kind of teasing that out. Is 8.35 okay? Is 8.45? Uh, you know, if I still hear the TV in the living room and it's 9.15, I think I'm okay. You know, that I can, I can watch from the, the hallway. So that's the sort of thing that that really should be used. And, and like you said, I mean, this, this is going to be the same thing we talk about in a couple months with preseason, uh, preseason stats, you know, and how did somebody look in two drives when they might be focusing on specific things. It's like, Oh, so-and-so averaged five yards per attempt. Well, you know, we don't know what's going into that. And let's, let's assess that a little more if it's week three, you know, we've, and we've seen a couple games of that. Um, I actually thought we don't see negative, negative or depressing in terms of a role, an upside, a usage for players coming out of the mouths of coaches. And I want to get your thoughts on this, Katie, because one came through the pipeline. Uh, and this is from Mike Zimmer about Irv Smith. Honestly, I don't think it's any bigger role for him whatsoever. I think it's a bigger role for Tyler Conklin. He's kind of emerged as a guy that's moving upward. And with those two guys, we have a lot of weapons there. Irv has always been able to do what he's been doing, whether Kyle was here, Kyle Rudolph was here or not. We're excited about these two young tight ends that, and what we have. This is, so this is specifically saying something tempering about Irv Smith. And we don't normally, like my ears perk up when you hear that because either it's A, super transparent, B, are you trying to motivate Irv Smith? But I would also say C, Tyler Conklin played a lot more snaps than people think. He was actually relevant. He was picked up in some two tight end leagues. He was 
you know, deep league streamable in, in some sort of scenarios. And everyone wants to forget about him. I know Irv Smith is what tight in 10, something like that in dynasty. Everyone expects a big, huge uptick despite two strong wide receivers and Dalvin cook and a run centric. I like, there are so many reasons I already had to fade Irv Smith, but this is another one of, Hey, within the depth chart, right? Didn't everyone think John New Smith was going to be like ruling the world? And he ends up in a split with Anthony Ferkser, where Ferkser actually playing ahead of him a little bit in terms of some snaps some weeks. This to me reeks of that type of scenario. And this is why it's not like he's around one guy. He's a subsized guy that doesn't look like a prototypical tight end. Be careful about overvaluing that and thinking he's going to get 120 targets. Yeah, I agree. Um, Irv Smith has never been a big high target of mine. And with the offense that they have, that especially is a fade for the position because they've got the good wide receiver talent. They they have the great running back and the running back that can catch out of the backfield. So it doesn't really uh, tailor itself well towards having so many targets for the tight end position, regardless of Tyler Conklin. Isn't Irv Smith strike you as that guy of you either pay for an elite guy or you got to get a little more equity if you're in that, you know, tight end six to tight end 20 zone. Like, I feel like you need better bets than what Irv Smith, even before this quote, was going to give you for I'm trying to hit on the next guy. Like if you're tight end eight versus tight end 16, it doesn't really matter doesn't matter. Not even in two tight end is it really a big mover there. So in that zone, like otherwise you can wait till the twenties and get yourself, you know, a shot on somebody that frankly is probably going to see equal targets. I mean, do we think Irv Smith sees 20 more targets than OJ Howard this year? I bet no. So you, I mean, look at the price difference. You're paying premium for something that hasn't happened. And it's not even a profile of like, oh, he's a, you know, 98% projection model score. He was a round one guy and he hasn't done it. Basically, I just described Kyle Pitts. He's not Kyle Pitts. Right. So, so, so just, you've got to get some, some equity for the upside. And it feels like you're, you're pricing him at his absolute ceiling if things go perfectly. And it sounds like here, Tyler Conklin's going to need to be injured for him to actually realize whatever that is. Yeah, no, again, I, I agree with everything that you're saying, and I have been fading him, and I would recommend fading him as well. Yeah, but and, and my my biggest point is just going to be beyond the name Irv Smith, this applies to other situations. And tight end's a real key one, especially if it's start one. You got to be careful. You got to be careful paying too much, and, and then you start going, well, I got Irv Smith, and then you get to week three, and you're like, well, now I need to get somebody because I need to start somebody. And the answer is not Irv Smith. And that was like your plan. So now you're all of a sudden rostering too many tight ends. You start to get an environment where it's like, well, now I need two, three tight ends from the waiver wire. I got to trade for somebody that basically was the cost of Irv Smith. I could have just pivoted from Irv Smith in July, August to someone else or now. So you can get better bets. And so this really does leak into roster allocation, uh, the value of roster spots. And I'm not saying you have to center yourself solely on lineups, but if Irv Smith is your tight end one plan and you know, you, you're, you're not fine with maybe seven, eight points per game or something like that, then you probably need to make moves. And there's still, you know, if you get to week three and he's getting three, four targets a game or something, it's on you. It's on you. Cause you had this whole window where he was still elevated. So uh, apply that to other positions, other, other players um, as you see fit here. 
Um, one other one I wanted to go over um, in the news. Uh, so add on, you know, if you have any other, Katie, but this was from a friend of the show, uh, met her in Mobile, I believe, uh, Jordan Rodrigue, who just got an award uh, there for covering the Rams. She's out in uh, sunny California. And uh, they, they, she was passing on some information from the analytics department in, with the Rams. I look at probability of playing. This is from Sarah Bailey, who's one of the only uh, you know, front office people, uh, female, uh, female variety in the NFL. And this was regarding uh, Jacob Harris, who is the, I know a lot of people weren't expecting him to be drafted early day three wide receiver prospect, that, but they firmly came out like Antonio Gibson uh, a year ago, they firmly came out and said, he's a tight end. We're developing him in the tight end position. And they said, uh, I looked at his probability of playing. And when we switched his position from wide receiver to tight end, he it increased his probability of playing almost 20%. And uh, they said, that's huge, you know, and she's in the analytics department. Um, and, and again, looking at marrying scouting, analytics, coaching uh, is kind of what they were, they were talking about positionless football when looking at prospects. And I saw some dialogue. I, I think I was looking at this about, about rookie drafts, almost think of your rookie drafts. So we can, we can mention Jacob Harris, but part of this was about if you go into your rookie draft thinking positionless prospects, I'm drafting prospects. The position is prospects. I think it was Adam Harstead, was, which was talking, who was talking about this from football guys. That so instead of thinking I need a quarterback, I need a running back, I need this. That if you think positionless, I'm I need prospects. Obviously, you can trade those picks, prospects, etc. But you start thinking of it in terms of best prospect available, just like best player available. It's a proxy there, but don't think positions because you're just putting them on the back end of your roster. So if you get sucked into thinking I need quarterback, it's it's two QB or super flex, and I'm going to push that position. That's where you start getting in trouble. Absolutely, uh, we've said it before. We'll say it again you draft best player available and you trade for need and you want good athletes. You want good players and not all of them are going to hit. You've got to be realistic about it, but you want guys that should have some kind of prognosis by the fall so that you can decide whether you cut them or keep them. And you, the last thing that you want is somebody that you're not going to get any clarity at all. And then they become a roster clogger. Yeah, that's that's the thing I think, especially round three and four. I, I think the more I go along, the more you got to be super careful with who you pick and having minimal allegiance. Because if you don't have a taxi that you're filling, you know, with those types of guys, then there's going to be roster pressure, or at least there should be roster pressure. And you draft someone that's a slow developing Des Fitzpatrick. He's sort of my go-to that I always talk about this year because you draft him, and they. Were you planning on Julio Jones being there? Not necessarily uh, when you draft, if you drafted him a month ago. But the point is, though, you got a guy that he's, you know, uh, you, you might want to pencil him in for some wide receiver two, wide receiver three job. And who knows, someday maybe he has that. But if he doesn't have that, you're sitting there on a guy that, where do I stand? Week one, week five, week 10. And other positions, you might have a much better shot of at least getting clarity. And if that's going to bother you and you're not going to cut that guy when that's prudent for your team for a waiver wire addition, then if you don't do that, to me, that's you're doing a double wrong. You drafted incorrectly for your playing style and for your mentality 
uh, with those roster spots because you want to be active with the waiver. Now, if you're one that you aren't active in the waiver wire, you like to develop the talent, you are going to be super patient. You do like to reap the rewards of year two, year three. You're going to be patient with your hand-selected rookies. Then that may be a prudent selection for you, but you have to marry it with whatever your ownership mentality is. And the last thing you should do is a feel pressured to keep the player because you drafted him at three Oh six. When you would glaringly, if you strip away what you paid three months ago, you would pick up the player and drop that wide receiver nine on your team. And then, so if you, if you don't pick them up, that's a wrong answer. And then if you do pick them up and flush three Oh six that you just drafted a few months ago, that's wrong as well. So, so you have to really know yourself, but, but this idea of, you know, drafting the right guys in the late rounds, I, I think is really important. Well, the other thing that I look at is you basically are tipping your hand to the whole league. I'd rather almost put them on my watch list and try to get them off waivers at a certain point when I have a little more clarity, depending. So you really have to ask yourself when you pick that final spot, whether it's third round, fourth round or whatever, who will I see more likely clarity in the next two to three months. And that's who you're going to take. And it's okay to take the same player in every one of your leagues. You're actually helping yourself because then if that person hits, you've got them everywhere. You don't have to trade for them. You don't have to pick them up off the waiver wire. And, and then you, you immediately after the draft, you should build yourself a watch list of the guys that you didn't draft that you were interested in and just monitor them, track them. Don't forget them. I remember back the year of Mike Weber that, you know, drafted him like with a final pick because you say, okay, if he wins the backup role, boom, we're keep, you know, we, or I am keeping him. And if he doesn't, this is not a bad scenario, you know, that, that like having clarity in the, okay, I'm not keeping him. That's a success with the pick. The clarity part is the success. So if you got three, four roster spots, and you're like, I need clarity on all these pretty much. So you draft with that with that vision. Now, Mike Weber flamed out. The answer was Tony Pollard in a relatively clear fashion. So that's not a bad thing. You moved on. You kicked the can. You might have picked up that year Malcolm Brown or, you know, just somebody, Wayne Gallman or, you know, whoever, you know, whoever's the backup running back du jour out there in, in August, September. But you knew the answer wasn't Mike Weber rather quickly. That's a win. That's good. But if you have some amb- ambiguity, you know, hopefully going into week one, you see who's getting the second most snaps. You're like, oh, okay, he's the number. You know, this is a guy with minimal pedigree and, and okay profile, and now he's not the running back too. Yeah, it, it's really easy for me to move on from 408. You know that I drafted him. So, as much as I love Josh Amator Bebe, I have drafted him in only I think one league one league, it was really, really deep and it was Debbie depleted. But if I didn't own him in Debbie, I didn't draft him in many of my rookies. Now, do I have him on my watch list? Yes. I love his athleticism. I love the player, but he didn't get the draft capital. Does he have a chance in Jacksonville? He has a chance. Sure. But that's a good, that's a great need- example though, because that's something, somebody we talked about quite a bit. Obviously if he was drafted in round four and, you know, depending on the depth chart, you might be more interested. You might have more shares, but as it stands, I mean, that, that just shows in my opinion, separating dynasty scouting of what you think of the player 
you know, do I think he's above or below where the market is? Or do I think he talent wise deserves to be drafted with, you know, 48, 60 picks in my rookie draft? That's different than knowing the utility and is it smart to take him and use a roster spot now? And one thing I thought, one thing just to close out that I think would be like a total Katie thing as well of a strat- game, game theory would be if you drafted him with the final pick in the rookie draft, you tip your hand of alerting everybody. So in August, when you invariably drop him for when things start changing, then everyone's like, oh, well, that's that's somebody Katie likes. So I'm a rebuilder. I got plenty of roster spots. Let me just pick up Immator Bebe. And you may never have access on the waiver wire. Whereas if you let him out there and you wait for something, you know, maybe it's an injury, maybe he makes the 53, something percolating to make you think, all right, now's the time I can jump in, spend a couple bucks on the waiver wire and get him. But you're not tipping your hand until then, which is a total, you know, game theory and, you know, playing the opponent, which is the other 11 league mates. Right, which is why I only got him in the one league where it's super deep rosters and I know I'm not going to have to cut him and I can be patient with him. Uh, But in all my other drafts, he's going to be on the waiver wire. All right, so let's talk about Dynasty Age. And obviously we can't, you know, this could be 2 hours. So we're going to we're going to go over some bullet points, but I really do feel if there if every Dynasty owner had a dating profile. And you know, you have things like, you know, wants kids, uh, you know, and, and four or five other bullet points that would be on there. That one of them would sort of be some sort of checklist or drop down about age just straight on how old is a player at their relative position. It really is a big subject where it can shape how you view doing a rebuild. It can shape how you balance your roster for a contender or a strong contender. Um, How do you look at prospects by age? How do you look at veterans and peak windows and likelihood of repeating successful seasons, drop-offs when they turn at a certain age, uh, selling a year too early versus a year too late, or just holding on because they're good players? It's all these things that go into just... How do you value age? But I really feel like definitely, you know, in a co-owner setting, you kind of need to be on the same page and it could vary. It just as an opener here. It could vary based on the type of asset on how you view age. My dating profile would be, uh, I, I like my quarterbacks anywhere from 25 to 31. If I'm in a startup, I, I, I want somebody that's already uh, proven themselves it's different. Like I, I do believe that Josh Allen, you know, there are some of the younger guys that I'm willing to go ahead and, and, and get, but I'm also willing to wait on quarterback because of that. So I'll take a guy like Ryan Tannehill, Matthew Stafford. Those guys are ideal for me. Uh, and then same thing with tight end. I want my tight ends on the older side. I want them already past their three-year window where they've struggled and learned the position and, Now they're finally uh, showing what they've got in the NFL. They can consistently put up decent points. And then for wide receiver and running back with running back, the window is much, much smaller. They can fall off a cliff so easily. I mean, look at guys, the value of Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon and some, and they're not even that old Le'Veon Bell, like just a couple years ago, these were hot, hot names in startups in first rounds. And that's just, to me, so dangerous. 
I, it's like the first round of a startup is like a car lot. And as soon as you drive them off the lot, you've paid full sticker price for them and they lose value as soon as you drive them off the lot. That's why it's so advisable if you can possibly trade back out of the first round, get some other assets and, and then avoid that full sticker price for the, for the veterans what they've done in the past doesn't count on your fantasy team now or in the future. It may be predictable, but not really. I mean, injuries are not predictable. There, there are so many factors that are not predictable. So in, in startups, as much as I can, I'm going to fade the running back position and go for wide receivers, especially if it's super flex or tight end premium quarterbacks and, and tight ends and then get my running backs organically through my rookie drafts because I think they're the easiest to hit on from my experience, from what I've seen. And my wide receivers, I don't care if they're necessarily the youngest guy on the block. I like to have a balance. I like to have a couple young guys that I think are promising, but I'm okay with the middle-aged wide receivers or even the, the values like Mike Evans is a huge value. You can get him usually in fifth or sixth round now of startup drafts. And he's still probably got at least a three-year window left. Now, when it comes to, to wide receivers, they're starting to get so saturated that you could wait and wait on wide receiver, but you build a decent core of wide receivers and then you don't have as much turnover. And like I said, the running back position is the easiest one to fix and Every year, there's going to be at least one or two that comes out, if not more. Every class is a little bit different. But you hit on a nice class, and, and if you can stockpile rookie picks in that class, you can flip the script real easy. Yeah, the, the thing that unlocked, and I actually remembered as we were we, as you were talking, that I haven't put out uh, one of the evergreen things over at UTH in probably a year or two, uh, scrubbed it up a little bit. You know, the data might change slightly, but when I really started looking at, and I've always kind of looked at age a little differently. Like a lot of people look at like, oh, average points per game, you know, and, you know, here's a running back that's 25 versus 27 versus, you know, and they show that nice pretty line graph. You know, we've, I think we've all seen it. If you've been on Twitter or, uh, or read some articles over the last five years, you've seen those types of charts. Um, I think the thing that is missed is that that factors in like, it's either all players or all players that see even minimal usage. And to me, th there was always something missing with that. And a few years ago, the thing that really turned my head over about age, and again, I was all about, oh, young, 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 you know, 10 years ago, just a, a, a baby face, non-beard, uh, Chad getting started in Dynasty. And it, it was just all about as young as you can possibly be, pretty roster syndrome, basically. And I learned, I learned that you needed some sort of blend. And I learned that, you know, veterans and producers and profiles can be some of the best values out there at your, your particular positions. Uh, if you're very particular, you know, not just looking at every guy over a certain age that produced last year, that's not, you know, as, as stringent as, as I would like to be. Um, but looking at peak seasons and peak windows and start looking at, so when are, is the most dense period for every position, they actually have peak slash quality seasons. 
It's not just, oh, well, they still produce nine points per game compared to seven. Who really cares? Who cares about that? When when are the most common seasons for the successful players? Because frankly, if they're not successful, they're not going to be on your team for long. They're going to be on the dynasty waiver wire within a couple of years. Even if it's some veteran, they stop producing for a couple of years. They're going to be unowned. They're going to be traded for fourth round picks. Some rookie, unless they were like a first rounder, is going to end up in a couple of years on the bus track and really cheap. So it really doesn't matter unless they've already been productive on what are we looking at? When do they have peak seasons? How long do they maintain typically? All this type of stuff. So when I started looking at it from the peak season perspective, I really got a much better view. And a lot of the things you're saying, I mean, it's backed up by the data of tight ends don't produce right away. It's typically later in your rookie contract when you get signed maybe to be the guy and you were the guy for a year or two at most with your first team. Now, maybe that team re-signs you. You go somewhere else on a massive deal. But it's that the mid-20s you know, that you really start to get opportunities to have a big season. And then quarterback, I, I couldn't believe it when I started looking at the data because it was pretty smooth every other position. Quarterback's all over the place. You get some 22-year-olds that are phenoms. You also get guys in their mid-30s, later 30s, have these big years, 40, 50 touchdown passes, you know, 15 years in the league, and yet they were traded you know, in Superflex for like seconds and stuff like that. Why? Because they're old. You know, Drew Brees, you get him at 39. He's, he's old, you know. Um, but so so quarterback, I was like, holy cow. Like, we shouldn't be valuing a 25-year-old quarterback that differently from a 30-year-old. And yet they're, all, you know, or a, a 32 compared to a 27. Like, we shouldn't have these massive differences of like, oh, you're QB 25 just because you're 33 years old now. You know, and yet three years ago, you were QB 12. Nothing's really changed. Exploit that. Exploit the crap out of that at quarterback because peak seasons are just as possible, uh, you know, almost as possible in your mid thirties as they are in your later twenties. So those kind of things really unlocked my brain from the old stale thinking of like ages, age, a year is a year and, and wide receiver. It's kind of similar to tight end. You know, it's your mid twenties. Like you want guys that have posted a couple times They they put up top 12, top 20. They've been there. They've done that. And then once they do, and they're 27, 28, don't kill him for it. Don't kill him for being 27 compared to 24. Don't do it. And if there's a five-round difference, just pound it over and over again because they've been there and, and their window extends to 30, 31. And if you're a really great player, Julio Jones right now, right? I mean, if you faded him three years ago, where do you sit? I know he missed part of last year. Where do you sit though? I mean, you sit with a guy that you traded for a first. You've missed out on two seasons. He's traded. He's probably going to be a top 20 guy again. Like, that's where you sit. You're just dumping all those seasons. And I know Jordan right now would be talking about how the expected value of said rookie pick is like a third of that, if not less, on the average one. So you could say you're a good drafter, but just dumping that by being early uh, and trading a highly productive year-in and year-out player for a pick, okay, you deserve what you get. If you bust out, you deserve what you get on that. And then running back, yeah, I mean, it's right away. It's right away. They can peak at 21 years old, 22 for big seasons because it's a young man's game. It's a young legs you know, position. And yeah, you know, when you get to 27 or 28, the all-timers, yeah, they can still be humming along, but their value is probably trash, right? I mean, in a couple of years, even if Zeke is productive, I mean, he's going to be worth, you know, he's going to be what, a 10th round startup pick? Even if he's productive, he's still with Dallas. He's a running back one. He's probably going to be like barely in the top 100 or 125. 
because of his age, his age alone. So just knowing that, it doesn't mean you have to bail. It doesn't mean as the price is falling and you observe the market, but just knowing these types of things, I think are really important for guiding how you're going to construct your team and really shuffling the deck every off season and saying, or in season and saying, where do we stand now? Because this off season, I don't know about you, Katie. I can't remember an off season where it was more exploitable. I mean, you're doing a draft right now exactly like that, but of trading down, but trading down with the confidence that guys like Mike Evans or Michael Thomas, or I mean, Zeke sometimes goes in the freaking fourth round. He could be running back one overall this year. And it's not like he's dead. He's 26. So I just, you can build such a team and it doesn't mean your first couple picks in the startup draft entirely. You don't even have to draft one of these guys, but the mid round, I have never seen so many good profiles at specifically wide receiver, but there's so many good ones in like round five through 10 this year. I don't recall that in previous years. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely gotten deeper and with the influx of the rookies, it just keeps pushing them back and pushing them back. Take the discount. It's okay. Um, just be balanced. It's okay to have a few older guys on your roster at each position, as long as you continue to back it up with, with the youth. And it, it's just, again, all about being patient and not overvaluing having a tier and if you're at the beginning of a tier, that's a perfect sign to trade back and get extra value. Well, and the last point I would make is just because a guy's 21, 22 years old, if they haven't done anything, it means they're at risk. We say this with Debbie. It's actually, we yeah. actually highlight this more in Debbie conversations we have for shows and just offline. But if a guy hasn't done it, especially at wide receiver, I really have a thing about wide receivers. If you get an incoming freshman, and deductive reasoning, they haven't done anything in college, they are really risky because you keep tolling those seasons and they haven't been the dominant wide receiver one for their team. And the odds don't, are not good of them getting drafted highly. The odds are not good even if they get drafted highly by the NFL that they're going to be productive. It throws all the machinery of their profile to whack. And the same thing applies at wide receiver in the NFL. Even if a guy, you know, in, in year two puts up a wide receiver 30 season, that's nice. Pat them on the head. But that doesn't put you on some massive success track. And no, 30 has to turn into 20, and the next year it's going to be five. No, that's not how it works. They might get passed over. They might get drafted over. They might sign Julio Jones. They might bring in a veteran that all of a sudden it's like, oh, you thought that guy was an alpha? That's hilarious. He, they're not. They're not viewed in that small subset. So once a wide receiver, like that's why I'm so impressed with Brandon Ayuk, for example, because he came in right away. Instantly, he comes in and looks like the guy. And looks. And I know there were injuries, but you can put a lot of wide receivers in that position and they're going to flounder, absolutely flounder, and not be discussed sometimes as like, oh, there's the dynasty wide receiver one. This guy's great. Like he's on the huge positive success track. That doesn't happen a ton. So that's why you take notice of early wide receivers that look the part because a lot of them a lot of them they look like maybe you squint and you're hoping for an injury and maybe next year maybe next year they'll be the guy maybe maybe and all this is while you're letting guys like Mike Evans and you know Mike Thomas like all these guys that you're just letting go through the filter 
They're just flowing out of the pool. And you want to keep taking shots on guys that, you know, and, and I always bring up like guys like Debo Samuel and these guys that have had some success, but they've, are they the guy? Cause if they're not, you got to have tremendous pause about valuing them too highly. Absolutely. And you need bridge players. So in your startup draft, it's the easiest time to get a bridge player for a decent price. And the further they fall, it's like, just be a collector. Yeah. And I think that, that one point you made a few minutes ago about just being balanced. Some of my teams that are technically older, I look around though. And if I have, you know, a Brandon Ayuk and one other young, you know, and I drafted Rashad Bateman this year, you know, like you should feel fine. You know, your first three wide receivers are productive 25 to 30 or 31 or whatever it is. And then you've got, a, you know, a couple guys like that with some pedigree, some production, some combo of that guys you like, so they could develop and bridge the gap there. But you also have a team that's competitive right now, no lineup pressure on, you know, Brandon. I, and the final point of transitioning back to what we were saying about rookie drafting and positionless prospects, it makes it so you don't reach. Oh, I don't, I don't need wide receiver. I don't need this. I don't need it for my lineup. Cause then you get skewed by landing spot and situation and all those types of factors. And like, I heard one laughable thing. Someone was drafting like uh, Elijah Moore and they, they said it was such a good situation. It's like, how is that a great situation? Rookie quarterback. Uh, they, they signed uh, Corey Davis for a truckload of money. And again, big questions about the, the quarterback himself and how good the passing game is going to be overall. You got Jameson Crowder there. You got Denzel Mims. Like, what are we looking at here? Like, really great situation. <laughs> That's not the one I would ID of all the rookies coming in. Of like, if I am chasing the first six weeks of this rookie season, that's not where I would go. No, absolutely not. Uh, but I do believe in Elijah Moore's talent long term. It it doesn't, you know, the comment about the great landing spot doesn't fly, but yeah. that yeah. doesn't mean that I wouldn't draft Elijah Moore in. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, but that was the logic is round. that, is that you're chasing landing spot and, or chasing, uh, chasing situation, early production and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any yeah. final thoughts on this, this again, giant topic that you want to leave people with? No, just again, be patient, be balanced. Um, I'm, I'm so looking forward. I, I love that there's, mini camps and OTAs and stuff going on right now. And we're getting some actual news. It's going to gear up more and more. I'm very excited for the Scott fish bowl, which will be drafting right after the 4th of July. And there's a lot of buzz on Twitter about it. It's a great pro-am event for charity and uh, Ryan McDowell and Scott fish both do a lot of work and a lot of other people do a lot of work to make it going. Um, I'm drafting from the nine position. We've got a group chat going. It's a lot of fun, a lot of camaraderie and doing some mock drafts and things like that right now. So uh, if you're in it, great. If you're not, there's still satellites and other ways that you can get in. And there's still, I think there's still positions open. Uh, other people, if you check on Twitter, are still giving away spots. But even if you don't get in, don't get disheartened. It's it's wonderful for for the kids, for the charity and uh, just keep signing up. Yep, absolutely. And there's there's avenues. Uh, I, I think football guys gave away a few spots. Um, I had, I believe, one to give away uh, previous in the offseason. So there's other avenues, you know, other than 
going through the uh, the meat market of, of putting your name on a form. Uh, but there's other ways uh, to garner it as well. But yeah, that's coming up uh, pretty exciting uh, up in a few weeks here. Do want to shout out a few of the things coming out or recently have came out on uh, UTH Dynasty. I'm doing a buy position uh, preview uh, of future draft classes. Mostly it's just kind of refining my thoughts now that Devi drafts are usually earlier, much earlier in the off season. And we're getting some, you know, spring games in the rear view mirror. We're, you know, in a college season starts before the NFL. And so uh, going through 22 through 24 at each of the skill positions, that'll be coming out in droves over the next couple of weeks or so. And it's, it's, it's a good project uh, before we get knee deep into the NFL in earnest. Um, I talked about the the dynasty roster stickiness, that factor of blending the old with the new, and also people overrate how how long they have their players. Um, that's another uh, sidebar topic for a different day. Um, also looking at uh, some evergreen content over there at UTH, um, looking at that quarterback wide receiver connection that's been out over the past few days. So again, a lot of premium podcasts. And if you, if you need, uh, want, excuse me, if you, if you want more uh, premium Dynasty content, that's the place to go over at UTHDynasty.com as a general manager plus subscriber. Any mobile device you so choose, get all the shows straight uh, straight streamed and synced. And also patreon.com slash UTH, exclusive content, just a few bucks a month, throw a, a cappuccino's worth of money, our direction, Tim Torches on the weekly show. We talk uh, weekly waiver wire in season and we're talking about a lot of voted on topics on a weekly basis you can be a vip there's a exclusive chat as well as strategy sessions um, as bonus content for katie flower at ff underscore skyler 399 i am at chad parsons nfl until next time never settle refuse to be average and keep building those dynasties oh pick suit <laughs>